So we're going to have two readings this morning. Our first one is from Isaiah 5. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can flick there. Isaiah 5. And it's a song. So later, if you want to get home and have a sing, go right ahead. (laughs) I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) So Isaiah 5, starting at verse 1. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard? than what I have done for it. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed, and I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. All right, our next one is from John 15. I just have to flip there too. Uh, Now, this is John's Gospel, and Jesus uses the same imagery from Isaiah that we just heard about, but this time he calls himself the vine. Uh, And this is where Jesus is still seeking to give his disciples some comfort because he's about to leave them. And they're confused about that. Alrighty, so verse 1, chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be complete, and that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit that will last. 
Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. Thanks, Corinne. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name's Pete Cheng, if I haven't met you before. It's great to see uh, lots of faces here this morning. It's great to see lots of new faces. I wasn't here um, last week. Uh, I was on some leave. Uh, But, yeah, it was fantastic to hear... uh, uh, yeah, restrictions have eased. Um, I did hear reports that um, church was, um, yeah, bigger last week. So that's really great. And so it's great coming here this morning um, and seeing lots of uh, faces. If you're watching on at home, uh, that's fantastic. But I'm looking around, there's still a bunch of empty seats here. So yeah, we'd, we'd love to see you back here at the Ministry Centre. There's plenty of space for everyone. All right, here's a picture of my mandarin tree. There you go. I think it's going pretty well. Uh, it's been there for a few years now, so um, it's, it's generally pretty healthy. There are a few issues with it. Um, but the thing is, though, there's my tree, but mandarins are the thing that I want um, out of it. See, I expect my mandarin tree to produce mandarins. Uh, It's the whole reason why I handed over my hard-earned cash to the flower shop, um, so that I'd get mandarins out of this thing. It's the whole reason why I fertilise it and water it. Um, I do all these things expecting that it would produce fruit uh, for me. I I do things like trim it back, I remove the weeds as they start to kind of come up from the ground, Um, I give it a spray... Um, so that unwanted kind of bugs and pests don't destroy it, um, even though there is a bit of that happening. I invest all this time and energy into this mandarin tree of mine so that it would produce fruit. And if it didn't produce fruit, then I just wouldn't spend that much time on it. I'm not that great a gardener. Um, I'm not that great a gardener, but I do try my best to look after my mandarin tree. And yeah, once a year, um, I get to see and taste the fruits of my labour. And and that time you can see on my tree, it's starting to come around. So hopefully pretty soon I'm going to get to enjoy some nice mandarins. I'm going to get to enjoy that sweet kind of juiciness of a ripe and ready mandarin. And when my mandarin tree does produce mandarins, when it does produce fruit, then it says to me that all is well with my tree. It's doing what it was designed to do, and that's to produce mandarins. So when it does produce those yummy, sweet, delicious mandarins, again, it suggests to me that my tree is healthy, that it's going pretty good. Now, This morning, we're not thinking about gardening. Um, We're thinking about our lives in relation to God. But let's apply that scenario to our own lives. See, as Christians, I'm going to assume that it's our desire that we would grow, that we would bear fruit, um, that we would mature in the Christian life, that the people that we are today is going to be is different to the people that we were when we started our Christian journey. And hopefully the people that we will become in the future is going to be different to the people that we are today. 
I would expect that as Christians, we would want to progress in our lives, um, that we would grow as we become more and more like Jesus every single day, that we would produce fruit that lasts. So that's the topic that we're going to be thinking about today. As we come to John chapter 15, we're going to see it's Jesus who brings fruit that lasts. But before we think about what Jesus says about himself in John, about being the true vine, uh, we need to look at the Old Testament for a bit of background. So um, as Corinne read out earlier, we're going to turn our attention to Isaiah chapter 5. So Isaiah chapter 5 paints a picture of God as this gardener. So verses 2 and 3. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Surprise, surprise, God's a really good uh, gardener. See, what does he do? He clears the land. He plants the vine. He sets up his vineyard in really fertile land. He nurtures it. He tends to his vineyard. He creates all the necessary conditions for fruit to abound, and yet we're told only bad fruit resulted. Of course, from this passage, as well as a number of other Old Testament passages, uh, it's clear that Israel is indeed this vine in God's vineyard. See, God had tended to Israel's needs. He'd been with them. He was guiding them along. He'd been instructing them how to be his people. He was with them. So, but Despite all those things, Israel, the vine, just would not produce good fruit. It only produced bad fruit. So instead of justice, God sees bloodshed. Instead of righteousness, he hears cries of distress. When the fruit from God's vine produces bad fruit, then it reflects poorly back on him. See, instead of his people displaying traits of God... Things like love, righteousness, mercy, they were instead selfish, violent, and lacked any love for one another and for God. So God rightly pronounces judgment on the nation of Israel. They're cut down. And later on in the Old Testament, we, we see that happen to Israel in a devastating way. First at the hands of the Assyrians and then afterwards via the Babylonians. So it's into this bleak situation that Jesus steps into and announces himself as the true vine. So John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So you notice how Jesus calls himself the true vine. Here he's contrasting himself to other vines. He's saying that there's imitation vines out there. There's vines that look like they're from God, but they're not really the true vines. Only Jesus is the true vine. See, Israel was one of these imitation vines. They, they kind of looked like they were a part of God's vineyard, but by their actions, by their fruit, they showed themselves to be fake vines. See, I recently bought myself um, a set of Oakley Sunnies. Uh, that's for when I go cycling. They're, they're pretty expensive, um, but I decided to fork out that money because I actually wanted a decent set of sunnies 
to protect my eyes from the Aussie sun when I'm out on the road. Um, but the thing is with Oakley Sunnies, there's plenty of fake um, Oakley sunglasses out there. Um, some people call them Folkleys, fake Oakleys. Um, but when buying a pair of Oakley Sunnies, you definitely want a genuine pair um, if they're going to be any good for your eyes. Um, sometimes it's really easy to spot a pair of fakes, um, but other times it's a bit more difficult. But usually there's these telltale signs. See, Jesus is the true vine of God. He's the true Israel because he reflects God perfectly. He is loved by God and equally loves his Father in return. He obeys his Father completely and lives an utterly fruitful life. See, he's the one that Israel should have been. But more than being the new Israel, he's the one that enables others to bear fruit through him and because of him. So as we'll see in John chapter 15, Jesus enables fruit bearing for all who are connected to him. He's the true vine from which lasting fruit comes. And the way that that happens is via his death and resurrection. See, as in the case of the Old Testament, um, God, again, here in John chapter 15, God is the gardener. And once again, we're told that he provides all the right conditions for fruit bearing to happen. So the father sends his son to die and rise again for our forgiveness. You know, our hearts are stained by sin and without Jesus it would be impossible for us to please God and to produce fruit that lasts. You know, we seek our own good rather than the good of others. We chase after our own desires rather than the desires of God. All that is bad fruit. But God sends his son to die in our place for our forgiveness. You know, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper um, a little later, and what a celebration it is. Because we get to celebrate that God in Jesus has created all the necessary conditions for us to be made right with him, for us to be cleansed, for us to be forgiven. God has done all that through his son. We weren't able to achieve any of it. Left to our own devices, we would only ever produce bad fruit. But in Jesus, as forgiven sinners, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are able to live lives in honour of God and in worship of him. Lives which produce fruit that lasts. Now, as we consider our interaction with Jesus, the true vine, what can we say about that? I think there's two things from the passage. Firstly, the necessity to bear fruit. Um, verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As Christians, not only should we want to grow and mature, indeed, it's imperative that we do so. Indeed, bearing fruit that lasts is actually to the Father's glory. Why is that the case? Well, we become beacons to God by our actions. As we live lives in accordance with God's will, then it shines a light into the sort of God that he is. 
See, when a fruit tree produces good fruit, then it shows up the healthiness of that tree. God has installed Jesus as the vine from which lasting fruit springs forth. See, when good fruit is produced on Jesus' vine, then both the Son and the Father are glorified. We grow and mature as Christians so that the Father and Son may be glorified. But we don't always produce the fruit that we ourselves would want, let alone the kind which is honouring to God. How do we ensure that we keep producing fruit that lasts? Well, put simply, we remain. We remain in Jesus, the true vine. It comes up again and again in John chapter 15. Look at verse 4. Hopefully you've got your Bibles there with you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Over and over again, we're told to remain in Jesus. He is the true vine. He's the one who enables and sustains healthy fruit. He enables it by his work on the cross. We can only be part of God's vineyard because Jesus bore our sins for us. He's removed the offence of our sin and has taken God's righteous judgment upon himself. But Jesus doesn't just save us and then leave us to our own devices. He's the one who sustains and grows us. He's the vine from which we, the branches, have life. Apart from him, we have nothing. Apart from him, there's no fruit, no maturity, no growth. We must remain in him to produce fruit that lasts. We must trust in Jesus and keep trusting in him to maintain healthy fruit. We can only produce fruit that lasts if we remain in Jesus. Here's a picture of my CD player. I'm going to show this at Church of Five, so they might need a bit of explaining. They might not have seen one of these things, but I'm guessing most people here know what that is. See, that CD player, it should play kind of sweet, nice, melodic tunes. Right now, in, in that scenario there, it wouldn't. Why is that? It's disconnected, right? Um, it's disconnected from its life source, aka um, electricity. Um, but if I plugged my CD player into the PowerPoint and pressed play, then it would produce kind of nice sounds for me that I can chill out to. But if it ever becomes disconnected from the PowerPoint again, then it's, got, it's going to stop working because it's got no life of its own. And it's the same with us and Jesus. Apart from him, we are nothing. Apart from him, we can't do a thing. He's our life source. He's the one who produces fruit in our lives. He's the one who grows and matures us. You know, there's plenty of people in this world who do good. They care for the sick and the needy. They give up their time and money and support those less fortunate than them. You know, that's all good stuff. But unless they're connected 
to Jesus, the true vine, then that fruit will not last. We must remain in Jesus to produce fruit that lasts. Remain, remain, remain. We remain in Jesus as we begin our Christian life. We remain in him now as we live our lives as Christians. And we must continue to remain in him going into the future. He is our life source. You know, maybe you're feeling flat as a Christian. Get connected with Jesus because he is the true vine from which lasting fruit springs forth. Come back to Christ and his word because only in him is life and lasting fruit. You know, it's a real challenge to remain in Jesus but I also find it an immense encouragement. See, as Stubbsy pointed out earlier, remember the context uh, which kicks off this kind of whole dialogue between Jesus and his disciples in chapter 14 to 17. The whole context is the fact that Jesus is about to leave them. He's going away. That's what he tells them at the end of chapter 13. He's going away to a place where they can't go. So Jesus is leaving his disciples, but here in chapter 15, he's able to say to them, remain in me. Remain in me, Jesus, even as I go. That's his message. Um, Surely a big part of remaining in Jesus, even when he wasn't with his disciples, was related to the Holy Spirit, which we heard about last week. With the sending of the Spirit, the disciples would be able to remain in Jesus even as he was away from them. And it is the same for us. Jesus isn't here with us right now. He's with his Father in heaven. But in another sense, he is with us. Um, He's amongst us by his Spirit. We're able to remain connected to Jesus and produce lasting fruit even though he's at his Father's side. And what's the alternative to remaining? We see it in verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. So on one hand, it's it's really harsh imagery, but on the other hand, it's, it's pretty obvious at the same time. See, if Jesus is the vine... If he is the life source, and if we do not remain in him, then we'll be cut off. The branch is being thrown into the fire. Um, That's a picture of judgment. See, in Jesus is forgiveness and life. Apart from him is judgment and condemnation. Now, that said, uh, for those of us who are in Jesus... There can still be pain, um, but that's more in a temporal sense. See, verse 2 speaks about God as a gardener. And what he does as a gardener at times is to prune the branches so that even more fruit would come forth. Why do we need pruning? Well, just like any other tree, we can get a bit cluttered up with things that distract us. Things that get in the way of us bearing good fruit. There might be things in our lives that begin to look like bad fruit. 
What do you do at that point? Well, you, you cut things back so that new kind of smaller branches might sprout and produce healthy fruit. Now, here's a pic of my pruning tool. There you go. Um, it's, it's pretty sharp and can do a bit of um, damage. Um, but as I trim back some of the branches that are going off in kind of a whole bunch of different directions, then it creates this environment where, where further growth and fruit can happen. Now, with this particular pruning shear that I've got, it, it's never going to lop off a, a whole branch um, completely. I've got another kind of saw thing that does that. But what this pruning shear will do is kind of clean up, straighten up and um, some of those wild bits of the branch. Likewise, God is in the process of maintaining and cultivating his vineyard. As the pruning process occurs, it may involve short-term pain, but the end result is an even greater harvest of fruitfulness and righteousness. Righteousness. All right, we've thought about the necessity to bear fruit. Let's spend some time thinking about the nature or the character of that fruit. It's two ways in which the fruit of the Christian life is expressed. Obedience and love. Firstly, obedience. I think we as Aussies, uh, we've got a pretty um, poor attitude when it comes to obedience. We don't like taking orders from others. Uh, we're not great when it comes to authority figures. Uh, we'd much rather prefer doing our own thing. But have a look at what Jesus says about obedience in verse 10 and 11. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, for Jesus, he expressed his love for the Father by keeping his commands, by remaining obedient to him. That's what Jesus loved to do. He loved to obey his Father. He had complete and utter trust in his Father's plans. And nowhere was this more apparent than on the cross so he knew that there was no other way by which guilty sinners could be made right with uh, God. Jesus' obedience took him all the way to the cross. He loved to obey the Father, and that brought him great joy. Um, I think it's a real challenge for us as we consider our obedience to Christ. You know, we often take the commands of Jesus and do them out of duty rather than joy. You know, I'll, I'll only do what you say because you say so. I don't really want to do it, but I know I'm obliged to, so I'll, I'll just do it. Is that what Jesus wants from us? Surely joy in obedience is the way to go. See, every day I make Sonia a coffee. There's, there's a picture of me serving up a coffee for her. Now, I do this willingly. I actually enjoy um, giving her a coffee because I know how great, I, I know personally how great coffee is. Um, I know that Sonia enjoys her coffee. So I'm really glad to make it for her. I find it a joy to make her her daily coffee. 
Now, suppose on the other hand, my attitude was like, look, I really couldn't be bothered making you this copy, um, but because you're my wife, then I'll just do it anyway. But really, if I had my own choice, then there's no way I'd make you that copy. See, same outcome in both cases. Both times she still gets her copy, but you feel like there's something just amiss in, in that second scenario. Surely joy trumps duty when it comes to obedience. And the thing is, with Jesus, he has proven himself trustworthy. He's loved us in the most extreme way. When he commands things of us, we know that it's for our good. We know that he's got our backs and he wants what's best for us. You know, at times he deprives us not to stifle joy, but out of love and, and for our good. Obedience to Jesus will ensure fruit that lasts, since in it we find joy and likewise bring joy to him who saves us. Right, the second characteristic of fruit that lasts is love. See, John, uh, Jesus has said it a number of times already in John. Uh, here he says it in verse 12 and then again in verse 17. Love each other as I have loved you. See, we, we take our lead of what it means to love each other from Jesus his, himself. Um, and of course, the clearest indication of Jesus' love for us is at the cross. You know, as his friends abandoned him, denied him and even betrayed him, he continued towards the cross. He endured suffering and false accusations for our sake. And at any point along the way, he, he could have retaliated and be done with it all. And yet his love for the Father and his love for us drove, drove him resolutely to the cross. That is the example of love that we have to follow as we think about loving one another. See, love isn't only about how we um, treat each other when things are going well. Love is about how we treat each other when there's tension and, and when it's awkward and when there's trouble. Um, loving, love is about forgiving when you've been hurt. It's about serving others when you'd rather be served yourself. It's about showing kindness even when kindness hasn't been shown to you. As we display that sort of sacrificial love towards one another, it is a sure sign that God is work at with at, at uh, uh, with, sorry, I'll start that again. It's a sure sign that God is at work within us by His Spirit. It's a sure sign of our connection to Jesus, the true vine. See, when we love like He loved, then we are displaying fruit that will last. Now, as we look to wrap up, how should we respond to Jesus as the true vine? Well, first of all, we must come to him. See, he is the true Israel. He's the perfect man, always obedient to his father. It is through him that God has established all those right conditions for us to be made right with God. This indeed, it's a free gift since Jesus has achieved reconciliation between us and God by his work on the cross. He's done it all and there's nothing left for us to do 
but to trust him. And as we come to him, what are we to do? Well, we're to remain in him. He's our life source. He's our connection to the Father. He's the one from which lasting fruit springs forth. Apart from him, we are nothing. Apart from him, we can't do a thing. Things in life will seek to distract us from remaining in Jesus. Let God do his pruning work in our lives that we might stay on the right path. That we might, empowered by the Spirit, produce an abundance of fruitfulness to the glory of God. And as Christians, our remaining in Christ comes back to those two aspects, obedience and love. As we heed the words of Christ and seek to live out his commands, we demonstrate the fruitfulness of God at work in our lives. Let's obey, not because we think we have to, but because we want to. Convinced by the Jesus revealed to us in the scriptures um, that, he, that we want to love him and serve him. That he's for us and desires um, the best for us. And as we remain in Jesus' love, Let us overflow with that same sacrificial love to those around us. Loving and serving others, not only when it's nice to, but even when it's difficult to do so. Jesus' extreme love for us demonstrated on the cross ought to guide and inform the sort of love that we show to one another. Now, that's not going to be easy, but we have Christ the true vine, we have his spirit empowering us for the task. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is the true vine, that he lived a life in honour and service of you, um, and that drove him all the way to the cross. Father, thanks for his love for us, and may we all come to him as the true vine who produces lasting fruit. Father, help us to remain in him as the life source. Father, at times when we seek to wander off, um, may you encourage us by your word um, through the encouragement of brothers and sisters to remain in him. And Father, as we live out our lives as Christians, may you work in us. Father, Keep us humble. Um, Keep us humble by your word. Um, May you work in our lives. Um, Father, no no sort of pruning is nice at the time, uh, but Father, we pray that you might be at work in us, changing us, moulding us um, to be more like your son. And may we have the humility to allow you to do that. Father, as we um, seek to remain in Christ, um, help us to um, remain obedient to him, not doing what we want to do, but listening to him, knowing that he has got our backs. And Father, as we live out our lives as Christians in community with one another, let us love as he loved, that we may shine a light to his glorious grace and to his glorious love. We pray all these things through his mighty name.
Amen.